to Inner Bloom, a podcast about how to live a happier, healthier, more harmonious life as you learn how to work with the universe, reconnect with your intuition, and bloom from within. I'm Alexa, a writer, producer, and EFT practitioner with a passion for all things metaphysical. And with me is my friend and co-host, Ambie. I'm Ambie, a physical therapy assistant, mom of three, an intuitive medium who has been communicating with the spirit world since the age of five. Some might call it woo-woo, but from our perspective, anything is possible, and we intend to normalize the abnormal by sharing our own life experiences as well as intuitive insights, channeled material, wisdom from special guests, and any other resources we believe will help our souls expand and thrive. you bloomers welcome back to another friday episode i am alexa and with me is ambrosia hello all welcome to the show (laughs) how are you doing i'm doing well i'm doing great how are you I'm doing good. We're back with another Friday episode, Forever Love February Friday episode with our amazing special guest expert, relationship expert, Julia Phoenix. Hi, Julia. Welcome once again. (laughs) I look forward to Fridays every week now. I'm very happy to be As do we. We do too. It's our it's our weekly dose of uh, relationship up leveling uh, for this <laughs> month, and it's it's been so great to have you here. I know, like, mm-hmm. I can speak for myself. Walking away from our conversations, I've just been thinking so much about the relationships that I have, and um, and seeing so much within them that we we speak about, and I know our listeners have as well. Um, We've been getting some questions in our Facebook group, um, and so it's just been it's been really I think enlightening for our whole audience for you to be here. So mm. thank you. Um, Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that you want to talk about today specifically? Well, I did notice that there were a couple of questions on the Facebook group from Inner Bloomers, um, which is the adorable title that you give your listeners. Uh, And one of them was about um, dynamics, navigating dynamics with a narcissist. And so, you know, I really wanted to address that. And then it just got me sort of thinking about dynamics in general in relationships and roles that we play. Um, It's such a, it's been such a fundamental element of my own growth and healing through relationship to understand some of those dynamics and those roles to be able to recognize them when they're happening, uh, to know my own patterns in that regard, and then to be able to call those things out and navigate through them and shift when necessary um, those roles. So that's what I'd love to talk about today. Awesome. Let's do it. Narcissism. I have my pen ready, ready to take notes. <laughs> okay. So um, I don't know if you have the question in front of you, actually, Alexa. I will uh, pull it up. Okay. But um, in the meantime, can I just say, like, narcissism is one of those topics that has kind of triggered – I'm so happy we're talking about it because it's kind of triggered me in the past whenever it's come up. Um, okay. And I – I don't know why. I think it's one of – you know what it is? I think it's one of those things where 
it's the same it's the same with people who say like call people toxic you know it's like mm-hmm. cut all those toxic people out of your life it, it's the same feeling to me it's like i know there are narcissists i i do understand narcissism narcissism but it's I, become a scape yeah. yes can become we get some characteristics I, of what narcissism i'm gonna go into i'm gonna go into all of that and i promise you alexa i have a bit of a different perspective than what you see out there typically um on like anti-narcissist kind of like facebook groups or awesome (laughs) i'm youtube videos or whatever yeah i'm excited to hear it and i also i just found the comment um this is from jennifer lar she asked about Healing from a narcissistic ex-husband who still abuses you because you have a child together. Mm. Okay. Um, I mean, I would need to know probably a little bit more about what this particular person means when she names abuse, because that can look very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I do think that in order to answer her specific question, what I can do is I can kind of just break down I'd love to break down narcissism and codependency and why these um, why these two uh, roles are essentially a perfect match for one another and then how to heal from that. Because the reality is, is that you if you find yourself in relationships um, with people who are narcissistic, it's a high likelihood that you have codependent traits. Right. And so looking at your own, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of always looking at you, you know, looking at your own patterns and what has, and this is very different than victim blaming. So Mm. I I really am, I'm going to speak to that a little bit. I really want to just put that out there though. Anytime I'm encouraging anyone to take responsibility for their role in a relationship dynamic, I am by no means saying that any abuse is someone's fault or that they need to go into a self-blame pattern about it. I I think that in itself is abusive to take that perspective. But what I do want to do is to give your listeners a sense of empowerment that there actually is something that they can do from the place that they are now. Yeah. I like that. And can I speak to that really quick as Julia's client? Like I can speak to when we talk about things that have happened and different patterns that have come up, it is, it is very much comforting. It's not, it's very empowering. It's not Mm -hmm. disempowering or blaming or anything like that. It's, it's very empowering. So thank Thank you you for sharing that. That's really great feedback for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Um, Narcissism, you asked um, Ambie about kind of some characteristics some based on characteristics Mm -hmm. Yeah. First How of all, know a narcissist. Yeah. Do right. they walk around with a sign on their chest? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> if only. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no, you know, what I want to say is that narcissism has become a really common term that's thrown around. And narcissistic personality disorder, NPD, which is diagnosable, you know, um, is not as common as it is to find someone who has narcissistic traits. So essentially what I'm saying is that it's on a spectrum. So there Mm, are some people who are like very far uh, into the narcissism spectrum where they have full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. And the characteristics of that are going to be pretty much zero empathy for anyone, Mm -hmm. you know, 
Um, very manipulative and conniving, uh, emotionally abusive, um, like intensely self-focused and self-centered. Yeah. Uh, usually um, socially very charming and dynamic. Uh, yeah. What's the difference between because as I'm hearing this, I'm like, this sounds like a sociopath. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's similar in a sense. Um, and you know, I think sociopaths are, God, I was watching it. Oh my gosh. My, uh, one of my community members, um, does very similar work and we were watching this TV show and, and we were, we were talking about, um, the character, it's this TV show called You. Oh, yeah, main- but yeah, yeah, Joe. Right? Yeah, I watched so, that show. Yeah, so we were talking about like, I don't know if he's a sociopath. Is he a sociopath? Is he a narcissist? Yeah. Um, <laughs> some, like a narcissist is like a sociopath light. Oh, you know? okay. Or like, like a sociopath is like narcissism extra strength. You know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a sociopath has zero empathy and has... Uh, essentially no access to their own emotions. Oh, okay. Mm. That's one major difference as well. A narcissist can feel their own emotion, but they can't feel how they're impacting other people. Mm. Sociopaths mm. also, as a general rule, tend to be intense, like social climbers. Hence right. the oh. title. So it's basically like there's, there's a, God, like I was watching also this documentary, um, your listeners are going to think I like all I do is watch TV. Um, <laughs> the documentary about the fire festival. Have you? Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh my God. I love that documentary. So, so good. So it good. So if anyone good. hasn't seen it. Oh God. But I love watching these things because I love to watch the psychology of these people. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, the guy who, you know, did the fire festival to me and I'm not, I, I can't actually diagnose people, but to me, just from an outside perspective, looking in and how he was portrayed in the documentary, comes across as very sociopathic because it's a disregard for how like I'm impacting other people. It, yeah. They believe their own lies. So actually um, I've heard it told to me by uh, friends of mine that are very extrasensory that even that can see, you know, the vibration of uh, like, like what happens in someone's field when they're lying. Basically, right. it doesn't show up as a lie <laughs> right. when uh, energetically in someone's field when they're a sociopath and they tell a lie because they are that much in delusion. Yeah. Wow. Super so like <clears throat> I'm going to go into politics real quick. President Trump is a very good example. It sounds like not diagnosing. Could be, could be, yeah, could be, yeah. It's usually there's a there's kind of a like I don't care who I have to climb on to like get where mm-hmm. I want to go. Yeah, you know, it's like so focused uh, on the goal. It doesn't matter like the wreckage in the way, basically. Yeah, people are to be used, and that is a commonality between the two. You know, mm-hmm. I want to say in terms of narcissism on the spectrum, though, like it is very possible for people to exhibit narcissistic traits and have aspects of their personality structure. You know, I've been working with Ambi doing a lot of parts work. So, you know, we've been talking about how we're not just one consciousness. We have a multitude of different characters inside of us and we can go into these different perspectives at any given point in time. So you might have a person that has some aspects of self, that are fully capable Mm -hmm. of empathy and that might actually be really caring in certain situations. But in a specific relationship dynamic, something might get triggered 
and they go into a narcissistic bubble wherein they mm. start to exhibit some of these traits. They stop being able to feel you. They stop caring how they're affecting you. They become manipulative, all of those things, right? So, um, so when people use the word narcissist, my personal opinion is that typically they're not actually referring to someone with full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. It's usually like some flavor of they have, they have some narcissistic traits. Sometimes right. it's full-blown NPD, but like not all the time. Right. Yeah. I was anyway. going to say, I feel like, I feel like everybody, when you, you know, everybody has moments of narcissism for sure. Like everybody dips into it 100%. from time to time and just like uh, every, just uh, like people dip into codependency all the time. You know what I mean? But yeah, like I feel like as you're describing it, narcissists are, are extreme and like consistent. Right. Yes. Yes. And I love that you can say that Alexa and that you can own that. And potentially that's why you may have had a bit of a, may have found some of the material out there about narcissist problematic. Because again, I, I do feel that it becomes this scapegoat and this othering and this blaming. Mm -hmm. So there's a blame game that goes on between the narcissist right. and the code. Exactly. Right. And the, the issue is, is that in a narcissist and codependent dynamic, um, the narcissist will blame the codependent and the codependent will swallow the blame. It, mm. The narcissist will deflect any sense of responsibility. We talked about deflection in the episode we did on communication. The narcissist will deflect yeah. any kind of responsibility. So if you're like, you did this thing and it really hurt. It's like, no, you did this thing. And just shoves yeah. it mm. back at you, right? So mm -hmm. there's no, but the codependent will swallow that blame. And that's what keeps the dynamic going, right? Yeah. So when the relationship ends, Often there is a period of time where it's very, very healthy for someone who's been in more of a codependent role to get really mad and to blame the narcissist, you know, and to say, you know, that wasn't me, that was you and that was messed up and that was not okay, you know, mm -hmm. and also to identify that like these are the characteristics and this is the thing that happened and that in that sense, I find the label to be helpful but what I find problematic is that often um, individuals will get kind of stuck there, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and not actually um, come to a place where they're examining within themselves how they may have played into that dynamic or how they might be playing into that dynamic. And once again, this is not at all because your listeners who have any codependent traits are going to take this to mean potentially that I'm telling them that they're the problem and they need to fix themselves and I'm shaming them because that's what people have done to them and that's what they do to themselves all the time. That is not what I'm saying at all. Mm. But what I am saying is that if this dynamic is a repeated pattern in your life, there are things that you can do to understand how you're showing up and why you're showing up, why you're a vibrational match in, in these ways to these particular dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to share a little bit about how the narcissist and the codependent are magnetically drawn to each other. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Both of us so, are excited. We're so pumped about this. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It's exciting. Yes. In your seatbelt. Um, <laughs> so what's important to understand about the narcissist and the codependent is that on the surface, they appear to be very, very different, right? Because they cope and they um, interact in very different ways. However, 
they're much more similar than meets the eye because narcissism and codependency come from a very similar family dynamic, actually. It's very similar childhood experiences. So what creates a narcissist is a family dynamic in which there's no possible way to get love, approval, or attention from mm. caregiver. Mm-hmm. There's literally no strategy that works. There's a profound lack of love and there's a deep core of shame from, from early, early childhood. And again, for a narcissist, what happens is that because no strategy works at a certain point in time, they pretty much put themselves inside of a bubble where it's just me. I have to have my own back. I'm every person is out for themselves. I'm out for myself. That's it. And they block themselves off, right, from from the realities of the people around them. A codependent has a very similar experience in childhood. But the difference is that the codependent found a strategy that worked. And that was caretaking the needs of others. Mm. That's how the codependent learned to get that basic need for connection and approval met. So that's, that's really the big difference. But what's important to understand about codependency is that, you know, we love to look at ourselves and I will be the first to out myself. I have codependent patterns for sure, you know, but we love to look at ourselves like I'm so good and I'm the martyr because I take care of everything. Mm, yeah. What we have to actually realize is that that pattern is self-serving. We think that we're doing it for the other person. We're actually not. We're doing it for our own safety. We're doing it to get our own needs met, you know? Right. So there is an element of codependency that is actually quite narcissistic. And this may not be mm. popular for some people to, yeah. you know, it's going to, yeah. you know, it's going to sting yeah. for some people. It's stung for me, you know, but it's the reality, yeah. you know, unfortunately, because of the personality structure of a, nar- of a narcissist, it is harder for the narcissist to see, um, to see some of these things about themselves and to, um, to really heal. I mean, it's, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's really, really hard. And it's a long road because the resistance to actually like a narcissist will present as though they believe that they are the God's gift to planet earth. Yeah. And a part of them does believe that, but what even they are probably unaware of is that underneath that is that intense, like core of shame. And that deep sense that like, no one will ever love me because I am in fact a piece of shit. Yeah. But it is Mm. so big and so deep and they've, they've created so many barriers to that. They'll do almost anything to avoid feeling that shame. That's why there's absolutely no responsibility taken for anything ever. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. Uh, It's funny because I keep thinking about I don't watch The Bachelor, but this week on The Bachelor, Ambie, this girl. Oh, I do. Oh, do you watch it? Okay. Yeah, I I like the part their psychology. Yeah, well, the Victoria, like I don't watch it, but I'm like know about that. Oh my god! Yeah, everybody. I've been seeing her all over the internet the past couple days, and everybody's like narcissist right there like red line <laughs> right there that's a narcissist that's a narcissist like but someone was really breaking down her behavior they're like she's completely deflecting she's throwing it back on him she's like 
like saying she's gaslighting him. Gaslighting, yeah, 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 yeah. And mm-hmm. um, she, Ambie, she's from Virginia Beach. Oh, they've been talking about her on the radio. Yeah, <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah. it's it's just I funny. Watch it. I don't know. It's just funny because it's I've. I it's been very in my face for the past few days and now we're talking about narcissism and I, I just realized it's I mean it's that's so interesting yeah. yeah it's it's fascinating to me I love to watch The Bachelor because I love to just sit there and my absolute favorite episode of The Bachelor every season is the hometown dates yes and you can probably imagine why yeah it's because I love to see their family, the family dynamic. dynamic yeah and I love to read energetically the mom and dad and the siblings and like why they are the way I'm like oh okay so mom's a narcissist dad's yeah. the codependent okay. he was really <laughs> passive that's why he has all that suppressed rage you know yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah wow interesting you should do so um, fun you should do like so a side by side you should do like a commentary like as a <laughs> oh my that gosh would be that would so be fun. fun you'd be oh, a commentator yeah yeah like that you oh, take so take that idea for free and you run with that <laughs> <laughs> that normally costs money. Yeah. So with I, I will with this pattern with narciss mm. um, narcissism and codependency is it more common that they're attracted to each other, or is it more common than a, a narcissist a narcissistic person is attracted to someone else, or a codependent person is attracted to a different type of of character they, 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 they gravitate towards each other they're like you know um flies on a fly strip like why you know, i don't know. why do they gravitate towards each other so, so because you know we we spoke a lot in the last episode about like you know the law of attraction and relationships and mirroring right so the inner being is always desiring integration mm-hmm. meaning any part of ourselves that we're not aware of that we've disowned or that we've, you know, um, abandoned or lost somehow, or any part of ourselves that we just lack consciousness around this, uh, universe and the infinite wisdom of this beautiful, um, slash really obnoxious mirror hologram that we're living in will present us with that so that we can mm-hmm. heal or integrate mm-hmm particular pattern. So because the core, like, remember I said that the core is the same, they both have that shame, they have that same childhood. That's why they're magnetically drawn to each other. Also, you know, a narcissist needs a codependent, like needs to feed off of other people because the narcissist is entirely cut off from their own supply of source stream, like, you know, their own, um, their own connection to, to themselves, to anything like so it's, it's, you know, you, you hear people talk a lot about like vampiric relationships and stuff. And I also, I have like a similar resistance kind of to that because I'm energy. Like, well, it's never like a one way street, right? Yeah. Like you show up and you're like, please suck my blood. Yeah. Because then I feel like I'm worth a shit. And that's yeah. the only way I to have connection. Right. Yeah. That's mm. essentially what's happening here. You know, the codependent also usually comes from a home where they had narcissistic parents. Right. And so they play yeah. this role to their subconscious mind this is what love looks like this is the person that they're going to actually be attracted to because it's what they need to integrate within themselves and it's what they need to heal from their own dysfunctional childhood Mm, makes sense yeah yeah so if we use these relationships they can be opportunities 
you know, really deep opportunities for healing and growth. And the thing I, you know, that I want to tell the person that asked this question is um, understanding that the narcissist does uh, feed off of essentially the low self-esteem and the patterns of like um, self-abandonment that a codependent Mm. has if you want to actually break the cycle of a narcissistic codependent kind of dynamic, the very best thing that you can do is to confront your shame and to build a more solid sense of self and a more solid sense of self-worth, which is easier said than done. But if you Mm. do that, a narcissist literally cannot do this shit to you. Yeah. Like they'll just be like, well, fuck. I can't get confront shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So confront shame and build a bigger sense of worth. Sense of self-worth and sense of self, actually. A sense of self essentially is just um it's a boundary. It's it's your boundaries. It's I am me and you are you. How I think and feel is I am connected to how I think and feel and what I want and need. I'm connected to my personal preferences and desires, and I'm owning that regardless of how it is that you're feeling or what's going on Mm. with you. Right. Again, it's easier said than done. This has been one of the hugest struggles of my own personal life. Actually, I wrote my master's thesis on boundaries and it was on the link between the development of uh, interpersonal boundaries and symptom rejection amongst adult women with bulimia, because there's a big link between bulimia and uh, lack of personal boundaries and being uh, able to express boundaries. But there, you know, I mean, a, a codependent essentially has no boundaries. There's a, there's a not a strong sense of self. If there is even an awareness of what I want or need, um, I'm not connected to it, or I'm not able to speak it. I'm not able to own it because that makes me bad. And I have to avoid my own shame and I have to secure connection. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking of like my own experience in like middle school. I was best friends with these two girls and they were like the one was – had very narcissistic tendencies I would say and I had very codependent tendencies and I just didn't have a – I didn't have my – I wasn't – I didn't even know who I was. Like I defined myself through them, through her. Right. Yes. And – And, you know, I was just thinking about why these relationships can get so sticky, too, is because Mm -hmm. it's like when when the codependent kind of starts to get a little bit of a backbone or starts to question what's going on, they'll kind of pull away and the, the narcissist will feel that draw back and will come, you know, you know yeah. it's like, wait, 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 and, and will play into all the things that the codependent yeah. needs yeah. or needs to hear. Yeah. So it's this very, you know, I was just thinking about even this person who, who our listener who wrote in how, um, I mean, any pattern can be changed and anything, any phase can be shifted out of and any, you know, I'm a firm believer in that you can do anything you want in your life. Sure. But I think, you know, it really does take strong willpower, especially in a Mm -hmm. dynamic like this, to say, I really, I'm making a change here. Yeah. Um, Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. 
And it takes support, I think, you know, yes. if you're the, the narcissist, you know, a narcissistic individual, you know, tries all kinds of tactics that are very psychologically like effective to make you doubt your sense of reality and doubt your sense of self, mm. you know, the gaslighting and everything like that, the manipulation. Mm. And so having um, support in your life and having connections with people who can hold up a more accurate mirror to you and who can really support you in making these changes and who want you to, um, to exist as your boundaried self in the world um, is going to be really, really important. Like as much support as you can possibly have, that's really safe and, and is really um, genuine. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Alexa, with what you said that, that initially there's going to be a huge like kickback kind of an effect and they're going to go in harder and they're going to pull out all the stops and they're going to do whatever they can to hook you again. Mm-hmm. But if you make it past that phase, um, they will actually withdraw. Yeah. Mm. When really know that like, this is actually not happening. They will literally find another codependent. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have Cause it's life. It's like there's no energy in it for them anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And they need that supply of energy. And so yeah. if you're not providing it for them, they're going to try and they're going to try and they're going to try. But it's like holding your breath underwater. Yeah. You know, you're going to thrash and kick and scream, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but like eventually you have to come up for air. Like, you know, you just need yeah. it. Yeah. Which is why and, you know which is why, like you said, Julia, it's so important in these situations to have support and to work with coaches like you, someone – like we say this a lot on the show. It's like, you know, it's not that your friends and your family aren't good support systems. Like they are and and a lot of them are going to be there for you and and you you need that. Like you need your community. But you also really need someone who's like objective and doesn't know you very well, but wants the best for you and truly sees a vision for you and is professionally like available to hold space for you because they're Mm -hmm. not invested in any way in you staying the way that you are. And to tell the honest truth, your friends and your family are, even if they don't know it. Like they, a lot of that's. Yeah. That's the sticky thing that I was going to also mention, Alexa, about what you said is, you know, I even, as I was sharing about, you know, getting support and everything, the the thing is, is that if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, it's, it's common that those around you are also benefiting by you not being, Mm -hmm. you know, having a strong sense of self or having boundaries. They're, they're at the very least used to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But most of it's like they're benefiting from it, you know, in yeah. some way. So, so, so I, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And, and to have someone who understands kind of these dynamics and who can see the patterns from an objective point of view and kind of help you, help you through it. And then it's really important as well to, again, address the childhood imprints. Um, like we talked about in the last podcast to, to go into the experience of, you know, it's like, it's very rare, um, or I'm going to actually say it's pretty much impossible that you're going to be in a situation where you're involved with a narcissist and you had no previous mm-hmm. experiences with narcissists, like right. in your childhood. There's yeah. like, that's like, not, yeah. that's not going to happen ever. Um, so where, like, who is this person representing in this current iteration? And can we go backward along your timeline and can we, um, you know, can we 
meet that original wound and that child who had to adopt that strategy, you know, and had to adapt to living with a narcissist or narcissists and had to give away their sense of self. And can we um, find resolution there? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. So there's, there's that. (laughs) And then one final thing with regard to healing from, from the narcissistic abuse. Yeah. This is going to be the one that's probably again, like kind of the, the tougher pill to swallow. Um, but it's, it's what you spoke to uh, towards the beginning um, of our call, Alexa, about uh, feeling as though everyone has a narcissist inside of them. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> if you're really ready for this step and you feel like you have the support and you're not going to use it to beat the crap out of yourself, I think it's highly beneficial to find your internal narcissist. Mm. And to uh, meet that part of you, to understand that part of you, to have empathy for that part of you, and to own that part of you. Because when you own your own internal narcissist, which is really hard for a codependent to, to do because codependents are addicted to goodness. They're addicted to being good. And being a narcissist is bad. So this is like really hard. It's going to go against your self-concept. But if you can do that, and I'm only speaking to it because I've done it and it worked And I've also done it with others and it's worked. You won't actually need to draw that. One of two things will happen. That reflection will actually disappear from your life. They'll just, it's, it it won't be needed anymore Mm. because you've integrated or you won't be as triggered in the same way as you were because there's a different kind of a relationship to uh, the narcissistic characteristics. There's a different kind of understanding. Mm. Definitely. That's, I mean, yeah, it it is interesting how people, I think, because like narcissistic is, I mean, even Amby, you were like, before this call, you're like, oh, oh no, you were asking like, oh no, do I have narcissistic tendencies? And Julia's like, no, you you wouldn't, or if you were- You wouldn't be asking, yeah. If you were a full-blown narcissist, you wouldn't even care or be asking if you were a narcissist. But, you know, there (laughs) is that part of us that, and, and Amby, you and I like, kind of touch on this all the time with each other of like, you know, you're like feeling yourself or you want to feel yourself. You want to like embrace, you know, the awesome part of you. And I mean, I think with you, Envy, of like Leela, our business coach, who is always like, be ambrosia, you know, like be ambrosia, Uh, which is like a, a, a way of saying like, 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 like step into it and like embrace it, embrace all these things that make you so awesome. But in Mm. our society, there's like, you know, I, I think there's been so much backlash about like feeling good about yourself. It's like, oh, well, this person thinks they're so good. And, you know, even online, like really quickly, people will come after people who are, you know, like feeling themselves too much, basically. Well, I mean, to be like, to be fully transparent, when I, it's interesting because when you have like these tendencies, I remember a couple, maybe a couple months ago, just starting to tell people basically to like to fuck off, like around me, like in my relationships around me. And my sister said to me, I'm going to put her on blast. This is what it is. She was like, you shouldn't do that to me because you're being a bitch. I'm like, no, I have boundaries now. 
So it's really interesting because it is met with conflict of like, whoa, you're not the same person. And it's like, you're absolutely right. Thank you. I'm not the same person. You're dealing with a different dynamic now. So it's just, it's interesting how not only society, but the, the relationships around you were like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't like it yeah. when you have boundaries. Well, what often happens for people is that um, they will get mad. I mean, yes, it's true that if they're benefiting from you having no boundaries, then they'll get mad. But also often what I've seen is that if you have a strong sense of self, if you're connected to your individual autonomy, if you're connected to your personal power, mm-hmm. and you're around mm-hmm. a lot of people, and this is probably most people, I'm going to say, who are not connected to that within themselves, or who don't believe that they have, that they get to have a sense of self like that, that they get to prioritize themselves and have boundaries. Like they will get really mad at you because they're like, Mm. I don't have boundaries. You don't get to have them either. Yes. 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 Um, But what you're doing when you step into that, um, that more empowered place is you're modeling for them what that looks like. And so that puts them at a choice point. They get to see that and they can have their reaction and they can kind of like, um, you know, uh, blame you for their experience or they Mm -hmm. can look at why is this making me so mad? You know, Mm -hmm. where do I feel powerless to be like that? Mm -hmm. You know? I've even, I mean, I've even been in that position myself, like seeing a friend who, had like just a really solid sense of self and just really strong boundaries and a really um, clear sense of personal freedom and autonomy. And it triggered the fuck out of me. Yeah. You know, because I was like, Oh my God, you know, it it triggered shame in me. Like, I'm not like that. I don't know how to be like that. It also triggered just anger that I don't, that I don't feel connected to that within myself, Yeah, you know? So it will trigger people, but it will also, potentially give them material that will, um, that will help them heal, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's ways to communicate boundaries, like without, you know, kind of swinging to the opposite end of the spectrum and being fuck all of you, you know, (laughs) which is something that we do sometimes when we're first finding our boundaries. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming back. I'm swinging back. I'm working with this really great coach and like, she's helping me swing back to center. (laughs) <laughs> Her name's Julia. She's kind of cool. She sounds amazing. <laughs> she is. Uh, what other, do we have time to talk about like one other popular dynamic in relationships? Uh, yeah, uh, I think we do. If if you want, Julia. There's also one other question here. Um, maybe you want to save it for another episode. I don't know. What are you, what are you feeling, Julia? Um, well, what was the, was there a specific dynamic that you wanted to explore, Ambie, or? Um, um, well, I don't, I hear so much about um, the narcissist codependent dynamic, and I haven't really heard a whole lot about other dynamics that are, you know, less uh, talked about or less common. But I do, it for some reason, it reminds me of like this, I get really triggered by this. So obviously there's some work there, but this twin flame concept, like, oh my God. Mm. Give it a break. 
<laughs> what triggers you about that? I'm just curious. Um, because I feel like it's an excuse to stay in an abusive relationship. Uh-huh. That triggers. Often- Go ahead. Oh, I just said often, often I, I think it is. I think you're correct. People do use it that way. I was going to say it triggers me for a whole other reason, which is that I feel like it's someone saying you have one right person and you're not getting it right if you don't like I I feel like that it's like you have to you're here on earth to find your twin flame and if you don't find them then you've failed and you have to know that it's like you know you you have to make sure it's the exact right person it's that feeling of like I'm getting it wrong or I you know what I mean and I don't like that I don't like the idea that there's one right answer yeah, I feel like I feel like the soulmate is like how I view it is like the soulmate is the right answer and the twin flame is the wrong answer but we have to be together so this abusive relationship is okay because my soul is learning something bigger. And it's mm. like yeah, your soul is trying to teach you self-love and to leave. Right. Right. And to go into your childhood triggers and Yeah. Inner child often, you know, that's, that's how I see it, you know, because that's what comes up uh, a lot in those, um, in those relationships. It's like, it's a catalyst, but what people I think um, don't always see and don't always want to see Mm -hmm. is that uh, they can do that work without actively being in a relationship with someone when the relationship makes them miserable or when it is in fact abusive. Yeah. You can do that work. I mean, I did it. You can do that work outside of that relationship. There's plenty of material that's still there. (laughs) (laughs) Plenty to work with. Yeah, plenty to work with. Exactly. And I don't believe that there's one right person for for everybody. I do believe that we often have soul contracts for people, Mm -hmm. but with people, but even soul contracts can be rewritten. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of free will and choice. We're powerful creators. There's like almost 8 billion people on the planet. There's a lot of people, you know, yeah. uh, to limit yourself to one human is just, you know, it, it's just not appropriate. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. the way you said that. So there's that. Uh, what I could touch on that I would love to just share a bit, a bit about briefly um, relative to family, uh, relative to relationship roles is um, our childhood roles and family dynamics. Because that's been something that for me has been hugely transformative and helpful in all of my relationships, including my primary partnership, but also in my relationships with my friends and my community members. Yeah. So, um, so often, you know, let's let's go with like the the typical um, American like nuclear family type of structure. Although we know that this isn't always the case, right? But we'll, right. Just for the sake of this uh, this discussion. Um, talk about, you know, maybe like a mom and a dad or um, just two two primary caregivers or two parents, a couple, right? right. So, uh, you know, most of the time it's going to be a narcissist codependent or like, you know, an addict codependent. The children also play roles. Right. And um, essentially the children become the uh, expression of um, disowned, parts of the parents Mm. and they become, uh, yeah, how do I word this? They have certain functions that they need to fulfill in order for the family system to run smoothly. So like for me, I played the role most often in my childhood and sometimes these will flip flop, 
but I played the role of the scapegoat or the identified patient. So I was the one in the family that everybody got to point to and say, there's something wrong with you. I don't need to take responsibility for how I'm contributing to anything. Yeah, right. You are the problem, right? Right. Um, sometimes that takes the form of kind of this identified patient role, which was which was very much the case with me, where it's like you are actually sick. There's something like really wrong with you, like psychologically. And because the child needs connection and that's what they need to be in order to get connection, they will actually play into that role. Mm. So I developed an eating disorder. I started cutting. I started expressing all the suppressed emotion for my entire house in these big, you know, explosive um, uh, fights and things. And I went to treatment and I went to eating disorder treatment and the psych hospital and I had multiple suicide attempts and I played that role because it was who I had to be. It was who everybody needed me to be. And it was who I needed to be me to be in order to get connection or, or maintain connection with my family, right? Yeah. There's always a golden child, also called like the family savior or the hero. Uh, for me, that was my older brother who it was like an MIT scholar. And, you know, he's like a published scientist, you know, researcher and everything. And uh, that is all the, you know, all the all the positive aspects is like the, the one that, um, everyone gets to celebrate and applause and, you know, all of that. Uh, the pain of the golden child though, is that um, they have really strict requirements for who they're allowed to be in order to get love. And typically they're, you know, relatively disconnected from um, a lot of what's authentic about them because mm -hmm. they have that role of being perfect and saving everyone, you know? Yeah. And then there's the lost child and the lost child is essentially what it sounds like. It's like you have no significance in the family and you have your, it's almost like you're invisible. I, I sometimes joke, even though it's not really funny that it's almost like they could just like leave you at the gas station one day kind of a thing. Mm. It's, it's a, an incredibly painful um, role to play. Uh, because even even being a the scapegoat or the identified patient in a family will um, get you some attention and yeah. some connection. Yeah, you know, and that is what we want, even if it's negative attention. I can tell you that I I played both of those roles in my family at different times, and being the scapegoat or being the identified patient was, you know, an incredibly painful role to play. However, it was better than being the lost child and being invisible and feeling like I have no core identity and I have no connection to anyone or anything. That state of isolation is just really, really painful. So anyway, <laughs> these particular family roles, you know, they're going to play out in your friendships, in your community relationships and in your primary relationships. So I've found myself in the role often in relationships of having to, you know, I need someone to rescue me because my identity is I'm fucked up and not okay. You know, mm, yeah, who I am according to the role that I played, you know, and if you're the golden child, you're most likely a rescuer. Mm. And so you're going to fit well into that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious if, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm curious if either of you, um, saw yourself in any of what I shared or if you had any questions about what I shared. 
Well, I have questions. So what about only children? You're so cute. You have your like little pen. I do. Uh, I'm taking notes, man. I'm not even <laughs> fucking around on this episode. I need that. I love it. This is extra okay. coaching yeah. for me. Keep She's going. Motivated. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So often an only child will pay, play um, all three roles at different points in time, which can be very confusing. I'm an only child. And oh, I, are you? Yeah. No, you're not both only children. Um, Alexa. No, I'm not. Yes. But, I, but you are. But it's it weird that you said that because something that I've always said since I've been little is that me and my parents switch roles like all the time. Like, I mean, sometimes me and my dad are the parents and my mom is the child. Sometimes um, me and my dad are the children and my mom is the mom. Some Like, literally, it's switching around all the time and it always has, like, since I was little. And I have always thought that was very mm-hmm. interesting, you know, sometimes – really interesting and sometimes it's like that it's like this sort of like carousel like this merry-go-round from yes. hell mm-hmm. you know yes. <laughs> from hell <laughs> right but what you're also talking about alexa is is a, a bit of a parentification dynamic because anytime you ever step into a parent role you know that's a role and if you're a parentified child um even if it's not all the time that's also going to show up in your adult relationships to where you're, you're taking um responsibility often in ways that aren't necessarily um, beneficial for you or appropriate for you to do so. Does that- What would be like an example of that? Um, Well, I mean- Like taking example in a way that's not appropriate or taking, sorry, taking responsibility in a way that's not appropriate. Well, so um, let's see. I have lots of examples of that. Yeah. So, I mean, appropriate is, that sounds like kind of a judgy term. I don't really, I kind of want to, I kind of wish I didn't use that word, but. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I wasn't taking it that way. I just... Well, can I give one? Cause I have lots of examples. Um, I feel like paying rent when you're 16 for your parents is not appropriate. That is not appropriate. That is a parentification. Uh, and that is an intensely parentified pattern. And when you, if you have that pattern, when you get, older, it's a high likelihood that you will probably manifest a partner that doesn't want to get a job, you know, and that you are paying rent for them and cleaning up after them and, you know, taking care of them. And mm -hmm. yeah, that was my past relationship. Right. Okay. Yeah. That happens a lot. I have a very, very close friend that this has literally been every single one of her relationships because like you, she started paying rent when she was a teenager in her own home and she was intensely parentified. And she also took care of her little sister, you know, was, was almost like mom to her little sister and protected her little sister. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, um, but you can see how like being mindful of this and understanding that about yourself, especially Mm -hmm. if you're working to sort of unravel some of that patterning, you know, you're having, you're doing this beautiful work, like you're doing um, Ambie to, to uh, re-imprint your inner children to give them new experiences um, to resolve that point of trauma. Like you won't have to play that out. You know, when we bring consciousness to it, when we have, like I can tell right away, well, pretty soon when I'm putting myself in like a scapegoat role or like an identification role. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, Whoa. Okay. We're bordering on this territory now. 
Like this is a problem. Mm. I need to mm. see this. Like we need to have a discussion about this. This happens all the time in my community because all of us play different roles in our family systems. But you will, if you if you live in community, like I live with five other people, people will fall into the roles that they fell into in their family. Yeah. It's just what's going to happen. It's a subconscious thing, you know? So the person who was the lost child is going to isolate and feel like nobody sees them. The person who is the golden child is going to try to, you know, take care of everybody and take care of everything, keep the house together and make sure everybody's okay. The person who's the identified patient is going to express all of the emotion that's suppressed for everyone else in the house. And everyone's going to make everything about how do we take care of that person or help that person mm. that that's just going to happen. What? I'm so confused about myself now because I don't think I'm parental. <laughs> Well, I don't think I because Ambie has a much more like parental. Well, I have an extreme version, but but yeah, but, Ambie has an extreme parentification pattern. Yeah, but I, mean, I, but like I was trying to think, and I've actually been the opposite my whole life. I've like wanted people to save me my whole life. I've never, mm-hmm. not up until the the past couple of years have I really stepped in and been like no I don't want to be saved anymore like I want to be in I want to be independent like I want to feel powerful I don't want to rely on anyone else but that has been my whole life up until this point so um you know the only thing I can think of is that my mom was really sick when I was very young and I think maybe I had to uh like I had to kind of be a caretaker for my dad in certain ways when I was very young yeah. and like not even very conscious of it. Um, but what's the identified patient again? The person that like feels all the feelings? The person uh, that, that like is wrong. Like yeah, <laughs> something's wrong with them. Yeah, oh. the problem. I've been something. taking notes. I got this yeah. shit. Yeah, you got it down. I'll just share my notes with you after. This is so, this is so interesting though, Alexa, like, I'm so glad that you're, that you are sharing this. What it feels like to me is that, you know, you, you may have taken on that parentified role, particularly on an emotional level, but it's like, who was there for you at that pivotal time in your life when you were probably terrified and needed someone to take care of you, right? Yeah. So it, it seems to me that you have um, had a strategy in the past to try to get your needs met in relationship um, that weren't met in childhood. Your little girl inside, probably all she ever wanted was for somebody to rescue her, right? Yeah. So oh, you know, yeah. that's one way it can play out is that you're, you're going to try to get that need met that you didn't get in childhood. Yeah. You know, because you probably wish daddy would have taken care of you. So you're like, I need daddy to take care of me. And that's Mm -hmm. what you're going to do unconsciously in your partnership. And that is what I did. Let me tell you. (laughs) I mean, that is looking back, I'm like, oh my God. Because now after doing all this work and really getting to know your patterns and really getting to know, you know, when you do like this inner child work, you, you start to see what your patterns are very clearly. And then you look back and I'm like, oh my God, this whole time I've, all I've been looking for is, yeah, that, what you just said, I just wanted my yeah. dad or a father yeah. figure to so say. That's need. And, that, and that's what we need to get is that it's like, 
we have these, again, like I'm coming back to this, but it's like, we have these needs and they're very valid. And especially if they're developmental needs that weren't met in childhood, like if you were not taken care of as a little girl that needed to be, you know, provided for and cared for and prioritized and really to be the center of attention and really to be hold that place in a relationship and you didn't get that need met, of course, you're going to still need it. It doesn't just go away, you know, so you're yeah. going to find whatever way that you can to get that need met. And it's a really brilliant strategy, actually, to try to attract a partner to do that for you. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Can I say the other thing that I think is interesting? So Alexa and I have had this conversation before about how in other like friendships, friendship dynamics, Alexa has been like the child role, Right. And the Mm. other person has been the parent role. And I am always the parent role. I wonder why. It doesn't matter. I'm always (laughs) the parent role. But in our dynamic, it's the exact opposite. I am very much the child. Mm. I'm very much like, I don't know what's going on because Alexa's taking care of me. (laughs) And and it's just very... It's very interesting. It's hilarious because, yeah, you saw it when you were in Philly with me and my fiancé. It's, like, really funny how, like, so with me and my fiancé, he's very much the, you know, yep. like. Takes the, care of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got it all figured out. He's And and I very quickly revert into, like, I don't know. I'm just playing around. Like, I have no idea what's going on. Right. Like, you know. And then Ambi, and so I tell, I'll tell him sometimes, like, I'm like, you have no idea how I am in this relate. Like, you think mm-hmm. that I can't manage this? I can manage a shit ton and I do. <laughs> on this whole other relationship you just don't see it and he's like oh yeah and it's like it's very interesting yeah yes well the particular dynamic that you have with with this this um you know your partner this other person versus the dynamic that you have with uh with ambi and you know (laughs) yeah it's it's kind of like somebody's got to drive the ship you know so you'll somebody that And you know how to do it and you're yeah. good at it. Yeah, you know? she's doing great. But, she's doing but maybe great. like we attracted each other. Maybe that's part of why our relationship is so attractive to each other because we get to play roles that we don't yep. usually play. That we exactly. don't normally play. Exactly. This is what I what I talk about when I'm when I'm talking about healing from relational trauma in adult relationships. So this is a healing experience. I mean, I think, you know, just observing the two of you, it is on so many levels, on very many levels. But this is one way in which um, this is a healing experience. Like Alexa, you get to experience yourself as um, capable mm-hmm. and strong and able to hold that role for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, Ambi, like you get to be taken care of for, I don't know, maybe the first time in forever, or, you know, at, at least in this particular type of fashion or in this particular type of way, it's a new experience for you. And that's mm-hmm. really repatterning. When it becomes off balance is if like you're constantly in this role, Alexa, and you didn't have like the fact that you have a partner that is meeting that need for you enables you to show up in this kind of a way with Ambi. Yes. Totally. Yeah. 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 Because like for me, it's the same for me. Antoine is like, I mean, I, I am often, I often turn into like a three or four year old child, like just at the moment that we're alone together and he just takes care of me and like, you know, it's fine. It's consensual. He loves it. Right. Consensual. Other times. Yeah. It's consensual. It's, 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 it's it's an explicit agreement that we have, like it's (laughs) conscious. Right. 
And because I have that need met in that relationship, I can show up and do the work that I do in the world where I'm quite literally taking like caretaking people's inner children, you yeah. know, and their feelings. If I didn't have that foundation of him and also the other relationships in the community to an extent, I wouldn't be able to play that role. It would feel terrible for me. It would feel mm. awful. Yeah, totally. Mm. It's very interesting. It really is. I like that. I like the way that you said that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what can... Thanks for steering the ship, Alexa. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, thanks for um, letting me at times. Just, and thanks. Yeah, just letting go. <laughs> yeah, thanks for letting go. Yeah, no, seriously, that's the biggest gift that you could ever give me, like, to be able mm-hmm. to steer the ship because I've never really been able to before. And, like, sir, I, mm-hmm. I honestly the past couple of years have been literally the best years of my entire life because I've had this experience. And so it's, it truly is such a gift and, um, like to Mm. discover this about myself, you know, because before this, I, I, I did constantly think like, oh, can I do anything? Like, can Mm. I even do this? You identified as incapable. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, and it, and it, and it's complemented my relationship so much, like going back to it's enhanced it because I feel safe in that role now, instead of resisting it and being like, oh God, like being so insecure about it. I'm like, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you said, Julia, like this is just what it is. And so anyway, I mean, thank you, Ambi, for like being able to let go because I know it's not easy for you. I know like, you know, and, um, and so it's just been such a like amazing experience. So it's it hasn't been easy, but it is been it has been really nice to be able to trust people. Mm. Um, because that's a obviously I don't think it's that's a surprise for anyone listening. Yeah. But that's a big thing for me is really I I have a hard time trusting other human beings. And so I've learned like through, you know, this relationship and also like working with Leela and working with Julia, and that's really not to just like promote them, um, that it's okay to trust other human beings. It's okay. Like the, like the arc nine said the other night, you need other human beings to survive. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is like my ultimate, if I could like put that on a bumper sticker and put it on every car in America. (laughs) (laughs) That is the message everyone needs. You need other human beings to survive. Yeah. Are you Are you going to do a TED Talk, Julia? <gasps> you should. I hope so. <laughs> I just imagined yeah, you talking. suddenly doing a TED Talk on that. Because I remember when we were at the retreat together, when we first met you, you were talking about this so passionately, like about yeah. loneliness and human connection. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah, I yeah. see you doing a TED Talk. And also the lighting is magical right now. Yeah, Just a heads I up I was on that. At- <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, Pretty cool. Julia, thank you so much. This is such a great topic and, you know, you shared so much uh, amazing information about it. Um, if people want to connect with you and work with you, how can they reach out? <laughs> Um, so you can always be my Facebook friend, find me as Julia Phoenix on Facebook and, uh, just request me, send me a message. Um, also you can email questions.julia at gmail.com, particularly if you're interested in, you know, setting up a time that we could chat and talk a little bit more about 
working together, maybe working on some of these patterns in your own lives and really, really shifting it, then um, I would reach out via email. And uh, I've got some major deals for uh, for inner bloomers. So yeah. Yeah. So email Julia if this is resonating with you, any of this. Set up a time to talk to her. You know, those are the like – just being able to have time alone with someone, like time with you to just talk mm-hmm. for 15 minutes or however long, it really gives you such a sense of like the possibilities, you know, mm-hmm. like what what could be possible yeah. with you specifically because all of you are so unique and um, and yeah. so – yeah, if you're curious, yeah. email her. Yeah, and I have a knack for, I mean, Ambie can can attest to this, but I have a knack for getting down to someone's patterns like within the first 15 minutes. <laughs> yep. And I think so that's like, why like you scared me because you you <laughs> see you see like people and you see not only like what they've been through and you're able to hold that space, but you also see their potential. Yeah. Yes, I do see that. Thank you for that reflection. It's I do. just a Julia love, love episode us. today. Oh, yeah. I love it. Forever love February. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Julia. Um, oh, did you want to say something? Sorry. No. Oh, no, no. Just I appreciate you guys so much. And thank yeah. you for being so, you know, um, so inquisitive and letting me just, re- I obviously I get super fired up talking about some of these topics. I'm really, really passionate about it. And it's really fun for me just to come on and share with you and, um, and also for being vulnerable about your own stuff. I know that's like, that's kind of a big deal to be able to be vulnerable with the amount of listeners that you have about your own childhood, um, stuff. So I just really, I respect you both. Um, and I appreciate you both so much. Thank you. We have Thank one you. more episode. I'm going to be sad when it I ends. I know. If you um, – Thank you so much for all of that, Julia. And if you um, if you have some questions that you want to get in or you want Julia to answer, now is the time. Uh, we have a thread mm-hmm. going in the Inner Bloomers Facebook group. I know there is another question in there. Maybe we can get to that next week. But um, yeah, send Definitely. in your awesome. Send in your questions um, and uh, and we will touch on them. Um, we will also put all of Julia's information in the show notes as we usually do. So if you want to reach out to her, you can look there. Um, and what else? I think that's it. I think that's it. Um, keep on blooming. (laughs) Yeah, we love love you all. Keep on blooming. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love, love, love it if you would give us a rating and review on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to get in touch for a reading with Ambie, an EFT session with Alexa, or just to say what up, we would love to hear from each and every one of you. And you can email us at innerbloompodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at innerbloompodcast. Until next time, remember, open your heart to the seeds of love and light and bloom from within. 